you did not just bring up Home Alone right now. My name is Matthew Kroll. And nobody wants your boat, Dad. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Us. It's specifically about us. It's about you and me. You and me. Uh, me and you. And we no matter- are Americans. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I was going to go, no matter how we toss the dice- we're meant to be, and the only one for me is you, and you for me. So happy together. I want to talk about this film. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're excited. I can feel it. It's yeah, early in the morning. Uh, you haven't, have you had your coffee? I'm drinking it right meow. Oh, uh, I am. I know. I'm pumped. I So last week, uh, a very important and very, I think, very good episode. We've been getting a lot of good feedback from it. Uh, about the um, finding. Uh, not fine. You know, so I'm, not, I'm not the only one who's made that mistake. The Finding Neverland. You know, I've, I, too, have said Finding Neverland. Which uh, is the Johnny just... Depp film uh, about Peter Pan? Yes, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, but but so it was a, uh, our, our our episode on forgetting Neverland was was very good, and I was glad that we did it. Um, but I'm psyched to to jump into something with you, which we I haven't gotten to do in about a month of sort of like not to say there's not meaning to this film, of course there is, but like sort of a uh, you know a horror. Uh, you know, it's a, a a narrative thing meant to entertain as well as educate. I would say, I mean, uh, well, let's talk about Jordan Peele for a minute because the thing that I thought about when after I'd seen this movie was, do you remember anything about the film Keanu? The film Keanu. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you remember anything about it though? I remember a couple different things. Uh, <laughs> I remember the um the beginning with the cat running through the drug lab. Yeah. I remember <laughs> the uh, scene about Michael Bolton. No, not Michael Bolton. Not Michael Bolton. Um, uh, I forget. But they're in the car waiting for. It was in Anna Ferris's house. Right, right, right. And then uh, she goes insane. Uh, I remember. Wow, I remember. You, you remember way more than I do. I remember a lot of the different places they went to, like the the strip club that turned into like the the actual back alley. See, like I'm only remembering. I'm only remembering that now that you're mentioning oh, it. Oh, I remember. My, my whole point here, and, and I think you kind of it's backfired. On oh, I'm me. sorry. My backfired point was that I remember nothing about that movie. I really enjoyed uh, Keanu. Really? Uh, I, I think it definitely had problems. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, you know, irreverent comedy about a kitten and a drug deal. Like, it's not going to change lives, and it definitely didn't flex the same muscles that Get Out and Us flexes. Uh, and, and because Keanu, he wasn't at the helm. Yeah, Keanu wasn't at the helm. Uh, uh, <laughs> Jordan Peele wasn't at the <laughs> Keanu helm. Keanu wasn't either. But the th- the point there was that the post Key and Peele. The promise of of the cinematic Key and Peele life after the TV show, you know, like it started off kind of pretty poorly, in my opinion, you know, with Keanu. I mean, I think if you look at sort of, I don't know, I mean, uh, outside of like early SNL films, yeah, um, I think it started off fairly um, not not um, exquisite, but Mm. like a standardized like. Ooh. We'll see where this goes. Yeah, Keanu, uh, Keanu was rough for me, and and the thing now is like what it's like three years on. Yeah, and uh, if you want to listen to our thoughts on Keanu, you can check that out with guest Chelsea White. That's right. Yeah, the cat episode. Um, but uh, I just I, that movie barely registers to me anymore. Okay. So I, I and so I think there was this this fear coming out of the you know like how great Key and Peele was as a, as a skit show that that these guys weren't gonna like go anywhere after that show ended. But boy, yeah. am, am I wrong? Because I think Jordan Peele is uh, is on his way to being, uh, if not if he's not already right now, probably one of the most significantly important filmmakers in American cinema right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, though, too, something we should remember, just sort of closing off your last point, um, the, the energy of the show Key and Peele mm. was very haptic and was very sort of like 
off the wall, but very like energy off the wall, but succinct in what it wanted to say. Yeah. And I find that 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 works great in short form and sketch, Mm -hmm. but making that into a feature length film is near impossible. Like, I I don't know if you can actually do that without doing like a sort of like maybe like the Key and Peele version of like a Ballad of Buster Scruggs, like an, an anthology, if you will. I don't know if you could actually ever get the same feeling that you get from an episode of Keen Peel if one of those sketches was extended for an hour and a half. I don't, yeah, and I, I don't think I meant that that they the sketches should be then extended into films, which is what Keen, no. which is what Keanu kind of is. Well, so that's the thing. That's what that, that's yeah. sort of and sort that's of why it doesn't Keanu, work. Keanu, Keanu uh, was, but he, well, it, I think it works, but it definitely doesn't work like Keen Peel worked. I think they took what they could and extended, like they pulled the taffy as long as they could, but then they had to fill it with generalized movie trope yeah. stuff to sort of like pad it out. I'm um, impressed that you're being a, an apologist for Keanu at this point. I never, I, I never, I, I mean, maybe you could go back and listen. Maybe I hated it at the time. Yeah. I remember having a good time. I remember a bunch of stuff about it. Do I think it, it would it ever fall on a, on a favorites list of mine? Absolutely not. Yeah. But I, I, uh, I like dumb movies about cats. <laughs> yeah, why not? I, it, Key and Peele didn't hurt anybody. <laughs> That's what, you know what I mean? Oh, like, Keanu didn't oh, sorry, Yeah, sorry. Uh, Keanu never hurt anybody. So. Not like the cat in the hat. Yeah, oh man. <laughs> the Ron Howard film. Oh God. A uh, couple of other big announcements. Uh, yesterday, uh, if you're listening to this, is probably a week ago now, but the Apple, Apple, t- you know, Apple had one of their sort of big platform launches and they launched their Apple uh, streaming service uh, that they that they have been working on for the last year, which is that, the so this is slightly different from Apple TV, which is just, which is uh, normally just a distribution platform. Uh-huh. This is a an actual service a la Netflix, which produces content mm. um, and they brought in some heavy hitters, yeah. including Kumail Nanjiani, Oprah. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll just jump over the other names here that aren't that important. Oh, wait, what's this? Who's this? Oh, yeah, go down the list. Point right there. J.J. Abrams? Yeah, sure. Who's this guy? Uh, bearded glasses. Oh Steven, wow! You know Stephen Stephen Spielberg. Spile Spile Spielberg. Now I was away when this whole thing went down with Spielberg and Netflix. But you and uh, you and Stephen Buscher <laughs> kind of briefly to summer, uh, talked about this. What's the what's the what's the rundown? On I this mean, long story short, uh, old man yells at TV. Uh, <laughs> no, I, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but not by much. Basically, Spielberg uh, went on record. Or I'm sorry. People, Spielberg's people went on record for him. Uh, uh, he, he did say this. Did he though? Because like all I heard every time I read this, it was like Mr. Spielberg says, so the, and it was like from a, from a representative. No, no, Spielberg because Spielberg is also the is on the board of directors of the Academy uh, Film uh, of the Academy Awards. And I think his point there, uh, I, I'm not going to defend it, I'm just going to say what it is, which is that he doesn't feel that um, films that kind of like token release in one cinema for a week should be eligible for the Academy Awards. He thinks they should be eligible for the Emmys. And his point being there is that the Academy Awards has a very stringent rules, uh, has stringent rules about what can be nominated for an Academy Award, and wh- one of those rules is that it has to play in a, th- in a cinema. And, and so, one and, of the rules for winning Best Picture is it has to have some sort of racial relations and white people feeling better and dry. So uh, I think some of the rules might have to be bent a little bit here and there. So you're referring to the fact that he's a big fan of Green Book. <laughs> I'm referring to the whole shebang. Right. No, no. But the, the, regardless of because sure. we didn't sure, sure, talk sure. about uh, uh, my thoughts about Green Book. No, we got a lot to catch up on. Last no. week was not the time. I feel like we can do it now. We can do it, uh, do look, it briefly. Just briefly. 
Green Book was the second best movie, uh, second worst movie at the at uh, <laughs> on that on that list. Agreed. So it's not the we're not in the absolute worst timeline now. I the thing is I have no feelings about this whatsoever. Yeah. Um. It's what what was I guess what was interesting about visiting New Zealand is the the racial dynamic that I think I talked about, and maybe that's come from me living here mm-hmm. for the last nine um, you know nine or so years. It is not a factor in New Zealand. Right. Like, people aren't talking about that. They're like, oh, this movie. It's a thing. When I grew up, um, you know, like I, I mentioned, I think, in our Oscar episode that um, uh, I remember when a film won Best Picture, it would be like, oh, this film won Best Picture. Let's go out and see it now. You know, whereas this was a case where this film had been out for a little while and it was being nominated for Best Picture. And, and so we were kind of, New Zealand is in a slightly different position. And so now people are going to go see that film in New Zealand. And the the general sentiment of the people I talked to about it didn't seem to the 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 twinge that I got when I heard what Green Book was was not apparent to a lot of people right. there and maybe rightly so they, they don't care and they you know like my mother saw it and she said oh I really like that movie um, so you know other people I know saw it and said oh, I really like that movie um, and so maybe we're making a mountain out of Moha but I'm uh, uh, but uh, I still stand by what I said, which is that I think that this movie is uh, slightly antiquated in its racial racial dynamics. Um, the fact that it won Best Picture amplifies uh, some of that problematic uh, element to it. Back to the mm-hmm. Oscars. I didn't watch it. Um, could barely tell you who won anything. It was uh, a better show than usual. Uh, I mean, Alfonso Cuaron won Best Director. Yeah. Roma won Best Foreign Film. Right. Uh, I think so. Yeah, probably. Um, uh, Olivia Coleman won Best Actress. Uh-huh. Rami Malek won Best, uh, Actor. Best Actor. Um, cool. Uh, <laughs> no, no feelings one way or the other about it. Uh, the fact that Green Book won is uh, not surprising to me. Uh, very disappointing. Uh, what was, your pick was Black Panther, yeah. if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah. and mine was Roma. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, here's the thing. Jumping back to the Spielberg conversation, if if Spielberg and the ilk got their way, your favorite movie would not, not have be, been able to have been nominated. Yeah, Roma wouldn't have been able to be nominated. And I think their point, his point there, and I'm not defending it, is that uh, a film... The, 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 the Academy's traditional rules has been that yeah, a film has to be released in a theater uh, for a long period of time. It's not a direct-to-video. You know, he's kind of equating Netflix as almost a direct-to-video kind of service. Yeah, but it's uh, not. It's not. But I think, <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's, it's very antiquated. And then his appearance at the Apple launch uh-huh. uh, kind of, uh-huh. I, for, for people that he rubbed the wrong way with the Netflix comments, his appearance there... Um, uh, kind of probably amplify that. Now, I don't think his appearance there is entirely contradictory because he's not there trying to say that the show he's producing, which is Amazing Stories, uh, a remake of Amazing Stories, uh, he's not there saying that Amazing Stories should be uh, um, on. Um, sure, but, but it, it felt like his it felt like his comments were a dig at streaming services, whereas his comments were a dig at streaming services getting into the Academy Awards. Which yeah. is it's it's nuanced. It's slightly different. It is slightly different, but you also have to look at what. I mean, you know, you're it's he's having cake and eating it too. He's not entirely contradicting himself, but he's also really feeding into who's paying him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he is. I mean, and granted, he's not saying that like I'm gonna go now make a movie for iTunes or for Apple, <laughs> and it needs to be in the Academy Awards. Yeah, he's but, not saying that. No, he's not. Yeah, but there's still streaming services that make their own content, and he was he was delegitimizing one a competitor at this point yeah and that's 
Yeah, yeah. That, that 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 um makes it look like he's on one side. I don't think he's actually on a side. I actually I think, don't either. Yeah. I think he's uh again, I'm, I I hate doing this is very ageist of me, but like <laughs> it's it's and I we we too shall get there one day. Yeah. Um but at the current time, I just don't know if um as far as the way people interact with media, uh if people of certain generations fully understand it and fully understand the interconnectivity of say if you say something bad about one streaming service and then you go take a check from another streaming service they might not see it as the same thing yeah. or they might have such a hard line between what is a you know a film and what is a what you know so i it's just it's a matter of perspective and i think it's a matter of being entrenched in your own uh way of thinking yeah and and i think uh alfonso Cuarón said it best which is that he he made a black and white film period film uh with no stars in a foreign language and that film got to be seen by millions of people around the world because of Netflix distribution platform. Yeah. Which it wouldn't, you know, like he said, if 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 we had to go the old route, uh, you know, I doubt this would happen. And I, my, my only experience, similar experience with this is that, uh, for example, you know, I work in short films, is that um, I've been to film festivals with my short films and I would say, and f- film festivals are kind of the more prestigious way to go, you know, if you can win an award at Sundance or something like that, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but I've been to film festivals where we've done everything we can to try and get into a film festival uh, we've gotten to really prestigious ones and like 10 people have come to see the film. I launched my film online and 100,000 people watched it within a week. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just a, it's a difference of, of, of volume uh, at that point. Uh, I will just kind of lean to uh, just an alternate voice, which is uh, a person who I love, who I think is very progressive in this sort of, uh, in this sort of work, and that's Steven Soderbergh. Uh, he just released a film on Netflix. He's released a couple of films. No, he's got, he, he released a specific film on Netflix, which I watched while I was overseas, called High Flying Bird, uh, which was uh, shot on an iPhone. Um, it's, a, it's, it's an okay film. It's a, is it uh, shot by a High Flying Bird? It is shot by yeah, high flying bird. It's all drone shots the whole day. Uh, every actor scene. Is you in see Neverland in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not bring it back there. <laughs> I mean, or any documentary ever. You see the town from uh, Making a Murderer. You see it, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Every current documentary is rife with drone shots. Okay, but that's not exactly what High Flying Bird is. It's a basketball movie. Um, uh, but but Soderbergh said, uh, uh, did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, and he said, he said this, uh, which, which I thought was kind of just a, a good counterbalance voice. Uh, he said, I'm agnostic in terms of platforms. I think we have to acknowledge that why people go to the movies has changed. And the very real fact that when I was growing up, there was a big difference between watching on TV and going to the movies uh, because TV was really shitty he's referring to back in the day uh, <laughs> that's not the case anymore I was watching Mindhunter the other night on 4K HDR on a pretty large Sony monitor and it's stunning so you're asking people to leave what in some cases is a mini theater to go to another theater we might have experienced that is not as satisfying not cheap and I'm not romantic when it comes to that stuff story is story and yeah. I think that's that's a, that's a great approach I think Christopher Nolan's been clapping back at, uh, at Steven Soderbergh for a little while and Steven Soderbergh clapped back so perfectly Steven Soderbergh, uh, Christopher Nolan said, when are you going to shoot on film again? Because Steven Soderbergh, uh, you know, is, is yeah. pioneering all these new digital technologies. And Steven Soderbergh uh, responded with, when you start writing your scripts in pencil. Um, <laughs> um, so I love I, uh, I I love this clapback. I don't think it matters much. Uh, I think uh, Netflix. You know the fact that Roma came out on Netflix is wonderful, and people got to see it. Uh, Soderbergh I, just jumped up my like directorial list on one tweet. That's uh, just phenomenal. Soderbergh is uh, is wonderful. That's so funny. <laughs> um, Got to remember as well. Just a little bit of historical context. Uh, Christopher Nolan owes his career to Steven Soderbergh. 
listen, that's fine. But you can't, you can't, uh, you can't forever be indebted to someone that you start to disagree with as you get older, like however many years later. Um, yeah. So it's all changing. I, I love me uh, the fact that these new platforms coming out. The other thing is that we didn't really briefly talk about. I know we should get to the movie. Uh, no, no, we got uh, some stuff. Uh, uh, Disney Plus. Disney, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Disney, Disney merged with uh, Fox uh, recently, mm -hmm. so I think that wouldn't. In my mind, I'm not sure if this is the case, but that means that Disney Plus, the streaming platform that Disney is working on right now, uh, will eventually be able to uh, house many of the Fox properties in it. Yeah, yep. Um, apart, as well, I think for you, this is kind of exciting because now Fox is part of Disney, which means the X Men can now be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, what's funny, I. Um, I, I I trust that they'll do it well, and I think it'll be fun, and I think, like, whatever. I don't particularly care right now about the X-Men. I think I've been beaten down so much just from, uh, you know, you, you get fed something so much that's that's mediocre or bad, and you're just sort of like, okay. I like Days of Future Past. Even Days of Future Past was fine. Yeah, even uh, it was directed by Brian Singer. But, yeah, you know, uh, and then, but, like, it even it breaks down into my sort of, like, DC universe. Like, it's taking a lot to have me, like, get back into that. Like, yeah. I think they're on the right path. Wonder Woman, I heard Aquaman was fun, and Shazam's getting great reviews. I'm Shazam looking forward right to seeing here that. Is, uh, is, is wonderful. Um, so, I mean, that'll be neat. Yeah. Um, but I, I haven't been. I'm more excited, honestly, about the sort of more fringe stuff, like f not well, mm -hmm. kind of fringe, but like Fantastic Four. Right. Um, that seems like that's a a more cohesive fit into my Marvel stories. I think. I think the thing is, X Men is sort of well established what it what it can be at this point, so they have to really redefine it. Whereas Fantastic Four hasn't quite found its footing. So yeah. In the Disney world, the main thing for me is the Disney streaming service now could include the Simpsons, and that it could and, include the Simpsons, and that to me is a big deal. That like Disney like has to is basically trying to uh, um, distinguish itself from Netflix. And, you know, like... Uh, it won't really be able to do that until, I think, 2021 or something like that. Yeah, they've but... got a lot of content on Netflix, and basically they're slowly pulling all of that content back creating their own service and it's it's frustrating for us you know i would love if there was just one place i went to for all my uh, for my um content yeah um but but at the but same that was time, also never the case yeah i guess i've i've enjoyed netflix because it's the sort of center hub of where mm -hmm. i go to um to to get content i guess i also like the apple tv in that respect because then it can pull from different di different oh uh, see i don't do that i, I use the playstation and right. it, but it, it's the same deal right well it's the same deal but like i can't like search in one search bar and find a thing across multiple platforms i can't i actually can't do that so in I, apple tv i got three i got netflix i got hulu i got hbo go yeah, right and those are my contents that i put into my home yeah, uh, and I've i have one and Amazon I have Prime. one. Oh, and I have Prime as well. Four. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I have these four outlets that literally I go down into a drop down menu in the PS4 and they're all there and YouTube and Twitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> I right, mean, right. I guess. So, like, those are my channels as yeah. it is right now. Um, and I don't know. D Disney owns so much now that I, I enjoy that I will probably just buy this, especially if it's like something that's like not exorbitant. Like, if it's another $10 a month, I mm -hmm. don't really have an issue as long as it offers me a bunch of things that I want. Right. I think the, the Marvel and Netflix thing was such a dream. This is the thing I, I love about people that sort of naysay Netflix or try to um, like get down on Netflix for being a bad thing in, in multiple different ways. It is still the place that for a very long time, allowed everybody to see a ton of stuff for an incredible um like cheap amount of money. Yeah. Um and when it goes up a dollar, uh, you know, I'm just like sure. Yeah. Um it, it's when it's if it if it ever started to do like a movie pass type thing where it's like it's $50, it's $6, it's $120 and you're like what? Yeah. What but it's never done that. 
Uh, if Disney's comparable, I will be picking up the Disney one. They, they own enough of the stuff that I love. And I would like to just vote with my dollars a little bit. And maybe, finally, with Disney's backing and the love they might be able to put behind a franchise, I might one day see an actual Buffy HD remaster, not the shit that they had computers automatically do that they had on Netflix for a while, and now it's on like Hulu UK. Okay. Uh, they they long story short, they basically like threw the old film through like a computer program that either punched in way yeah. too close to make it still widescreen, so destroying framing. It it put on a, a a soft filter to like make it less grainy, even though it was shot on Super 16, right. which makes it look like everyone's in a rubber mask. Yeah. And then the color grading is just gone. So day for night shots now look like they're at day. Okay. And it's terrible. And I'm hoping that maybe uh maybe Disney might be like, "Hey, this is garbage. Maybe we'll try to is do it, it is again." A, I don't know if uh Buffy is part of the Fox. Fox. It's Fox. It's Fox. Okay. Yep. So for me, again, uh uh the one thing that I've kind of always just been yearning for just because it's a nostalgia factor for me, but I also think it's a great show is The Simpsons. Yeah. Um it's really hard to get a streaming service of The Simpsons. It's a lot of content. And you could that's the thing where I you could if you wanted, I bet, like, have, like, a random thing. Like, if they had it all available, just, like, have The Simpsons his playing randomly. Oh, I would love that. Um, and um, I think the thing there is that the way to get The Simpsons streaming right now, the only way to get the old copies of The Simpsons is, I think you can buy it on iTunes, which is expensive. Yep. You can buy DVDs, which is expensive. Um, or uh, you have to, there's a Fox uh, subs- uh, streaming service, but you have to have cable box to get that. Yeah, and I, I don't have like, same, same with CBS All Access. And yeah, yeah, so... So the idea that The Simpsons will become available that way is kind of exciting to yeah. me. But anyway. I have one more thing I just okay, want to bring yeah, up yeah, very, sure. very quickly. Uh, the Queen's Room Film Festival. I went to uh, a screening uh, last Friday for a friend of the show, Carly Houston, oh, yeah, uh, had, had a, a film, a film right? in the It Gets Better block. Uh, it was a bunch of, it was six films with messages of hope for LGBTQ youth. Um, and uh, it, it was really good. Her, her, uh, film, well, her film Misdirection was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, any if you can find it somewhere playing New Year, please go see it. It was the it was definitely the most sort of I don't know how to put it, but like it it hit every box for me where yeah. a lot of the other films hit many boxes. But right. um, but that one, and I do want to give a shout out to another one called I'm Just Here, uh, which was about um a suicide prevention hotline worker. Okay. Um, those were was two- that uh, who who's starring in that? Uh, Is that uh, what's her name from uh, Happy Go Lucky and uh, Shape of Water? No, no. no. Okay, sorry. No. Never mind. <laughs> um, but no, Misdirection was phenomenal, and it uh it spoke to everything I know Carly loves, and it was uh it was so nice to see like her brain on on like on the big <laughs> screen, like for everyone to sort of like crawl inside for a short while. So <laughs> it was really really fun. Uh, and 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 also check her out on our uh, Captain Marvel. Episode. Oh, there you go. And uh, please write us in with your thoughts on Netflix, uh, Apple TV, Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, St- Steven Soderbergh, Leaving Neverland, uh, Captain Marvel, The Oscars, Green Book, whatever you want to talk to us about, please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. I promise you now we will talk about the topic that we're here to talk about, which is us. Matt, how are you? I'm okay. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I'm. Oh, we're not <laughs> doing that. We're, we're not, not doing, doing, doing that joke. We're not doing that oh. joke. It's a terrible joke, especially the, what are we, 30 minutes into this thing? No. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just. Kidding. Um, (laughs) Jordan Peele is a filmmaker of the moment. Yep. Isn't he? I mean, like, I I can't think of a film, a filmmaker right now who I would say, you you know, to anyone, regardless of whether they like horror movies or not, and I've had people ask me, hey, I'm not sure if I like horror movies. Should I see this? I was like, 
this is a, a cultural conversation that is happening yeah. right now around this filmmaker. You need to go see this so that you and I can have a conversation about this. I uh, it's funny because I don't get normally jealous of of friends of mine whom I see with pictures in pictures with uh, celebrities. Yeah, exactly. uh, but friend of the show, Jara Milligan, <laughs> yeah. uh, was in a picture with Jordan Peele, uh, yeah. and, and I was like. Shit! <laughs> I was like you. I was like it was. I was super pumped for him, but I was like, oh man, what's where's what's happening? Where's he going? Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, it's 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 wonderful, right? Like yeah. it's it's wonderful. And 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 you know, regarding Steven Spielberg in this respect, I can't think of a filmmaker. Uh, maybe Christopher Nolan, I guess, but Christopher Nolan feels feel fairly film geeky. I can't think of a filmmaker that t- speaks to the general population the way that I think Jordan Peele yeah. is either doing now or will do shortly. Um, you know, like I think M. Night Shyamalan sort of got to this point with his first three movies, uh, and then you know, obviously things went a little Where, south. What happened? Uh, uh, you know, like uh, I think the Hollywood Reporter or something <laughs> like that anointed him as the Nick Spielberg. Um, I could see that kind of label being placed on Jordan Peele, and the and I, and I'm not singling out Spielberg as Spielberg, but I'm singling out Spielberg as a brand, as an icon. Yeah, and and the thing there is is that his movies at that time were uh, a signpost not only of quality but of like something you had to go out and see. It w- it made the movies magic again. And that's also like you know when I was in film school and when I was saying I'm going to make movies and I'm going to do this other stuff. Everyone's like, oh, you're going to be you know the, the you're going to be the next Spielberg. You're going to be the next Spielberg. Like yeah. that's what every parent told every kid that wanted to make movies or like whatever you know yeah. like so like that's that's not saying you're they're not saying you're going to be the next great filmmaker, which mm. is what they actually are saying. But yeah. to have your it's it's the equivalent of Kleenex being. Yeah. T- Issue. Like yeah, yeah, the brand is being, with the thing. being uh, you know homogenized bandages that you stick in your, like uh, you know Coke as soda like yeah. it's the same Spielberg thing. Spielberg as, as, as filmmaker, filmmaker. Yeah, yeah exactly I think and I think what I uh, the feeling I get when I watch Jordan Peele's work right now and the feeling I get when I when I sit in an audience watching his work mm-hmm. is that at some point we might be describing filmmakers as being appeal or no appealing. Peel, peeling back the layers. I don't know what. uh, I don't know. Or he's the the Michael Jordan of filmmaking. I don't know. Um, But at any rate, I feel the 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 thing that was so significant about Get Out was it was such a cultural touch point. It was such a moment. It was such a film that 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 touched a button that everyone could discuss. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so powerful in that respect. So the fact that you know Peel has come back, he's got a new film uh, uh, in theaters, and I think the important thing here is to go see it in theaters. As much as I'm, you know, an advocate for Netflix and streaming services and, you know, people like Alfonso Cuaron releasing a film on on Netflix, um, you know, Going to see a Jordan Peele movie at theater, I think, is a is is a wonderful moment for film goers. I saw it in Atmos. Yeah. Uh, Atmos is my favorite uh, proprietary bullshit film technology. Like right. a- Atmos, for for those of you who don't know, is basically like better seats. And real good sound and a good screen. It's not IMAX. It's I think it's a little bit bigger, but like I think the looms might be different on what they project it with digitally. Uh, I thought Atmos only referred to the sound, uh, to the sound like the screen. Oh, could maybe be whatever. maybe maybe that is true. But the one in Queens, it fe- like the yeah. the the seats and the screens are newer. I think they just redid the entire theater. Yeah. Atmos is probably just the Dolby thing. Yeah, but like. That's that's my sweet spot of like oh do I need to go see a a, a big or important film I won't go to IMAX anymore right uh, unless it's shot in IMAX but even then like right. I, you know because uh, it gets so exorbitantly expensive in the city uh, I think an Atmos film is like two or three dollars more but like the sound does like you hear the sound design like right, right. in a lot of theaters you don't 
So uh, I would I would highly recommend that for any film you deem uh, important. <laughs> but this is also uh, so again the other part of of Jordan Peele's uh, work is that it touched, his appeal uh, his appeal yeah. Um, well, how many more can we do with these? I think that's, there's really only the that's, two. It's really that right. Um, is that uh, his films touch a cultural significance in terms of their conversation around American culture? I mean, they peel back layers. Ah, uh, there you go. Okay. I did that one. Before. Did you? Yeah, I thought I did that one. Oh, I thought you said he was a uh, appealing, and he pe- and we pe- peeled back the layers. Let's just keep doing the same two then, over and over. Yeah, yeah. that's all I got. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, uh, Get Out in 2016, in the wake of a Donald Trump election, mm-hmm. uh, was significant in the way that it was about race and the uh, and and our sort of uh, a modern take on race. Yeah. Um, to the point now where um, going to the sunken place was uh, is a is a commonly used phrase now for a certain mm-hmm. type of racial uh, racial conversation. Um, and and I think he's real. You know, like again, it's only been one movie at this point uh, up until this point but you know that that's a really great example of the amplification that winning best uh, uh, an oscar can do is that that was an appropriate amplification of what was great about that film as he won best screenwriting oscar mm-hmm. so uh what is us uh, what are we about? Uh, what are we about? What is Us about? Uh, IMDb uh, posits that Us, the film, is a family's serenity turns to chaos when a group of doppelgangers begins to terrorize them. Uh, so the uh, one thing I'll say here is, because I watched the trailer after I watched the movie, do not watch this trailer. I think I, it's a really well-cut trailer, but like I showed my wife Valley and she was like, I don't need to see this movie. And I was like, "Yeah, you kind of don't." Oh, I think you do. I, I watched the trailer and it got me pumped. Um, it didn't. It, it didn't reveal. Uh, I didn't think revealed too much. It revealed the premise of the horror. Revealed the premise of the horror. Revealed how car- certain characters died. Uh, it revealed uh, that they were ongoing battle. It revealed what the premise of the doppelgangers were. Uh, it revealed. Oh, how- I didn't. I, then I didn't see that trailer. Oh, it. it I saw like a- trailer one. Oh, okay, trailer two or whatever it was. The one I watched after the movie. I was like, oh. I- the the joy in seeing this film is being surprised at every turn, right? You know, like because it has a lot of little moments in it that are you know like revelations uh, upon mm-hmm. revelations, and the trailer to me kind of gave away most of it. It was a good, it was a great case study of like not seeing the. Trailer. I'll have to hunt that trailer down because I, I I did I only saw the first one and it all it did it it actually kept the whole film in the house. Uh, no, the tra- the second trailer you see the world expanding. You see, oh you no! See, like oh. The, you see uh, a certain character dying in exactly the way that they're gonna die, and and I was like, oh Yuck. wow, you're really giving it all away here. That's terrible. Uh, um, so so please don't watch that trailer. And in my mind, uh, there's no need if you. I think for the general population, yes, you know, people will need to see a trailer to to, to, to see this because Jordan Peele isn't quite Steven Spielberg yeah. at this point. But if you can, if you're a film lover and you haven't seen the trailer, and and for some reason you're listening to us at this point, go watch the film blind. You know, I, I have a wholehearted recommendation for this movie. I, I think also, uh, well, the trailer that I saw, I really liked because it, it watching the trailer then subverted my own expectations because I thought the whole thing was going to be a horror movie in that house. Right, right. Uh, and then that was not it. No, and, not and at all. Then I was like, oh, yeah. So like that actually, in a, in a weird way, to it, it's and it sucks that there's two trailers that do two different things because I totally condemn the trailer that you're talking about. Yeah, um, without having seen it. Yeah, I mean that sucks. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the one I saw was just like super creepy. So that's the premise of the doppelgangers, and they're in the house with their doppelgangers, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And like that's it. Right, uh, and that really got me jazzed. And then when like sort of things started unfolding, as we'll get into when we get to spoilers, I got more and more excited because like 
I, you know, I was like, oh, it might just be a cool thing that, like, whatever. And it, he, he makes good movies, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be shot well and it'll be suspenseful. And then when it took the twists that it took, I was like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, I will. Okay, so in terms of my first reactions to this movie, uh, yes. the opening for for, for uh, I I watched uh, Gaspar Noé's film Climax on uh, on a plane, which is a the definition of a risky click. Okay, uh, that movie is not something. Hey, what's it about? Uh, Climax. <laughs> Are you being serious? <laughs> oh, uh, it's about a group, a dance troupe in Paris that uh, accidentally has their sangria spiked with LSD, and it goes and it's it's sitting one night and it spirals out of control into probably one of the most horrific drug trips I've ever seen in oh, my life. God. It's 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 horrific. It's terrifying. It's a wonderful film. Uh but just don't watch it with a <laughs> It's kid. terrific. It's terrifying. It's wonderful. Shut yeah, down. That's I yeah, it's terrific. It's, right. Yeah. I, I think I you know like if you like horror, this is a really great example of physical body horror um that's that's painful to watch. <laughs> but but incredible. Uh, just don't watch it with a, a, a ten-year-old girl in the aisle in front of you, which you know just always makes you nervous. This film has been modified to fit your screen. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know what this film would look like. Mod- it was weird that it was on the airplane, like it was on the airplane system. Sometimes you hit that and you're like, "Why would you offer this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. You sort of go, "Well," uh, but the reason I mention it is that it has the almost exact same opening shot to uh, to uh, Jordan Peele's Us, which is a, a, VA, a, a television screen with VHS tapes which are basically foreshadowing exactly the kind of movie you're going to get um uh in in the case of uh of us uh you see chud yep. on one side uh, cannibalistic humanoids un, uh, underworld, uh, underworld, underworld dwellers, dwellers yeah. uh which i think was kind of as soon as i saw that and again i'd been primed by seeing climax which has the same sort of device i was like okay this is going to involve that in some way or and some th- way, there's I'm, an opening preamble of text talking about there's a lot of tunnels people don't know what they do and i was like okay yeah yeah, yeah exactly but i but i think it's mistaken serious enough and again it's not like it's it's not <laughs> it's not saying exactly what's going to happen because the other one was the goonies um you know so there's a lot of there's a lot, and nightmare in elm street on mm-hmm. on the other side um so it opens with this thing about hands across america and i was like okay i'm i'm interested here like well, how is this all immediately what you're seeing is a is a story where there are all these disparate pieces already coming together in a single shot yeah. um and and i was very intrigued by the way this was going to play out i will say um, my general impression of the film, uh, despite all the praise I've sort of heaped around the surface of Jordan Peele's movie, was that when I watched it, I did think the mythology of this film was far bigger and less pointed um, than, for example, in Get Out, than this movie could offer. Yeah. So, so, uh, and, and that kind of left me feeling somewhat dissatisfied as I was watching it. Spoiler alert, I agree. Yeah, oh, okay. Is that a spoiler? I don't know. Well, I mean, I didn't. I'll get into why later. Okay. So I was, I you know, like I think there's a there's a very large mythology um, behind this film that the film can only touch upon because it's from the perspective of one particular part of it. And what happens there is unlike Get Out, which say which has this sort of mythology that. Uh, a character kind of fully experiences in that case, even through a you know sort of an awkward VHS tape. Um, this film can only touch upon um, and leaves you asking so many questions, and and to a point where a lot of it doesn't quite make sense. Well, that's the thing. In in Get Out, there are fantastical elements yeah. to the horror, but it, they are in in the world that they are presented and that's set up. 
everything is still wrapped up in a this can be that because of this and the things that are sort of um more like how does one i mean mm. this is a slight spoiler for get out if you haven't mm. seen it but how does one transplant a brain yeah like um that's not it's not but really like that but that's not but yeah. but in this yeah there's uh, uh, and, and i think it has a lot to do with scale yeah there's uh, a scale to this there thing. there's there are questions that can break your immersion enough to make it not as in as enjoyable or as an intoxicating of a mm. world build or like involvement with yourself uh as get out was yeah because the um, mechanics just simply don't add up a lot of the time yeah, yeah. and i want to get into a bunch of that when we get to spoilers which we'll be getting to soon however so that that was my first yep. initial reaction and then i went home and i kind of just sat with the movie for a little while and it was it, it was this thing again. I saw a film with a friend of mine, Zach, who uh, got me tickets to the Dolby Atmos screening, which was uh, which was wonderful. Thank you, uh, thank you, Zach. And you know, like it's this is one of those films where you don't want to have the conversation immediately after the film, like what did you think of it? Um, because because immediately we walked out and we were both like, oh, you know, I think that was interesting. Uh, it wasn't quite as as. Uh, or inspiring and, and the world seemed very big. But then I kind of went back and, and what, I, what I did was I kind of just reflected on all of the signposts the movie was giving me. Mm -hmm. and, and I think one of the biggest confusing elements there is that Get Out was so pointed about its, you know, like its mythology pointed to uh, a discussion about race relations, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and in, in the case of us, the what does the mythology point to in terms of a relationship to uh, American culture today mm -hmm. was a little bit uh, obfuscated. It was a little bit vague, and it was a little bit hard to kind of grasp onto. I am having a hard time grasping onto it, so I hope you've come to a, a, I ha a and, solution. And and the thing was, wasn't just by wasn't trying to. Um, for me, the way it worked wasn't. Um, by you know coming to a hard fast solution like you know one that's certainly fixed what it was was just reflecting back on all the signposts the movie is doing and all the little details that this movie is doing and one of the things that that I think Jordan Peele does really well in this film is that every moment every little visual cue matters you know yes. like like yep. everything matters in this movie and if you kind of uh, rather than have the film spell it out for you, if you just absorb all those visual cues and go with the feeling of what you think this is about, then I think it becomes rich. And and in a way, it's far more ambitious than Get Out. Obviously, the scale kind oh, of... Oh, it's just, way more ambitious yeah, than Get Out. Yeah, the scale kind of points to that already. Um, and for me... The I came to a reading of it which which allowed me to to view it in a way that I thought was wow, you know like and, and um, the the movies that I'm reminded of um, in, in an odd way I think and I think this film kind of the film I'm about to mention does this much more pointedly and stronger in the first viewing um, than us does but that film is Cabin in the Woods. Uh, so Cabin in the Woods has this sort of giant mythology behind it that just keeps escalating, getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And bigger. I thought about that. I yeah. have a theory on that, too. And, and, and Cabin in the Woods really nails what its mythology is about by the time you get to the end of that movie, you know, even on the first watch. Whereas Us doesn't quite uh, feel as pointed as Cabin in the Woods. Yet, again, by watching it and then really kind of trying to come to a reading myself uh, and just thinking about it... Um, I think I felt very satisfied by what this film was trying to do. And I also, one thing I said to Zach uh, after the movie was that, um, you know, we sort of both came out of the movie going, I admired it more than I enjoyed it. But at the same time, 
I am all for the big swing, you know, like the big punt in a movie. And this is a big punt. And then, but by the end of it, I was like, you know what? I actually kind of really liked where this film was going and what this film was talking about. I enjoyed it more than I admired it. You enjoyed it more than you admired it. So well, you said the other. You yeah, said no, the no, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to parse what that means. Uh, what practically, that, what that sort of means is when I walked out, I was like, I kind of had the opposite effect. Mm. Uh, I think uh, that you did. I was like, that was so cool. Okay. Like I was like, that was. I had such a good time. I I didn't really like start trying to, or my brain didn't start sort of piecing together like. I think here's how it went. I saw it. I was pumped. I walked out. I was like, that was such a cool ride. And it was so stylish and like and, and skillful and like masterful in the way that like these things were presented. And then I was like, okay, well, because I know that Get Out had real strong, like, um, you know, allegories and, and, and things along those lines. I was like, let's try to figure this out. And the more I thought about what the film was trying to say, the more I kept getting hung up on the minutia of the world that they didn't fully develop and or answer. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the reason I think that that hit me is in Get Out, even if you can't answer how do you transplant a brain, the feeling of, of racial relations and all of the things that he's trying to say still hold true because none of that has to do with the act of transplanting a brain. Yeah, you, you could just make the leap of yeah. faith that there but is a this brain film, transplant. But in this film, <clears throat> there's a lot that you actually need the mechanics of because it's on such a large scale to work. And with the, with the Cabin in the Woods analogy... Cabin in the Woods, um, tonal like the I, I, tone's the wrong word, but no, I'm trying tone to think is of, an important word for this for this film. Like yeah. the 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 reason why it do, is able to escalate to where it does is even though um, it does start going to weird places, we're e more easily able to understand it for two reasons. One, the tone is consistent throughout. Two, and this is where I think the this is where the film where us I think falters slightly and it's weird because it's also one of my favorite moments yeah um is uh the information that we get about how the world how the world works in cabin in the woods is presented to us relatively organically mm -hmm. it's either through conversation or action yeah how the world works in us both times is monologue Right. Yeah. And now, listen. Uh, Lupita destroys yeah, yeah. this film. Like, is this the, this film does not work without her? She yeah. does a phenomenal job. I am engrossed. I am on the edge of my seat whenever she's speaking. Yeah. But uh, but but when the the mechanics of your world are portrayed as as like, and now I'm, I can't do the voice. Yeah. Yeah. No. We'll tell. <laughs> nope. See. Yeah. She, she's got it. Um. When it's just like this is how the world works. Da, 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 da. And then, then we we pause the scares to go back to how the world works, and then once the explanation is done, we can get back to the scares. Right. And that to me took me not, not, again not in the moment, but when I was dissecting it or trying to find the meaning behind it, I was like, well, this wasn't as effective. Yeah. And um. So so in that respect, I think uh, tone is a really important word here because I think, you know, like uh, obviously being Jordan Peele and coming from this sort of uh, incredible uh, sketch comedy show, um, 
the the Key and Peele show, uh, the sense of like, is there going to be laughs in this movie? There certainly are sure. laughs in this movie. Uh, a lot of them come from uh, Winston Duke, um, and his in his role as like the lovable schlubby dad, yep. uh, which I really appreciated, by the way, just as a lovable schlubby schlubby dad. Um, but uh, well, I think somewhat lovable. Um, <laughs> uh, the, certainly schlubby. Um, the the schlubbable. The, yeah, schlubbable. <laughs> schlubbable dad. There's a t-shirt. Um, but the 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 moments when when comedy would enter what was a horrific scene uh, often felt jarring in that they they weren't... We should jump into spoilers right now because I think yeah. I feel like everything I'm going to say is Let's a spoiler. Let's do it. Spoilers uh, for us. Don't listen if you haven't seen it. So these are minor spoilers at this point. But for example, I, I, a joke uh, that I think didn't work was I have the highest kill count. You know, like where all the family are kind of going, saying, "I did, the, I killed this. I, ki-, you know, I killed this. That's two. That's one. That's thing. That's a joke that I felt was very um, out of the world of the film that we're experiencing, and not quite uh, believable, and and not that, and because of that, not that funny. And the children get real used to death. Yeah, real no. fast. Actually, everyone kind of does, but then, but then, and I will say this: then all of a sudden, they're not. Yeah, like it goes between like this is a fun let's kill zombies esque sort of thing. Yeah, uh, back and forth to like this is meaningful and you're supposed to be terrified. So, but a joke that I think did work, um, uh, slightly bitter, and because it felt more organic to what was happening, was Ophelia call the police. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Ophelia, which is their version of Amazon, starts Alexa, playing. Yeah. yeah, starts playing. Fuck the police. Yeah, uh, I think that's a clever interjection of humor in a horrific scene that feels organic to what is happening mm-hmm. and is still very funny. Yeah. Um. And and I think the problem was the balance of the jokes was more more of uh, I've got a higher kill count than it was fuck the police. You know. Yeah. So 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 that tonal that tonal problem is definitely apparent throughout the film. Another thing that got me too. Um, and I, I'll just—I think this is my sort of second to last uh, criticism of the film is the second that they left they left the house, mm-hmm. I was no longer scared for any main character. Yeah, because the, it, they set up the secondary family, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, they're probably gonna die, and then they all died, and that's cool. But then, like the second that they all died, I knew for a fact that no one in that family, in our main family, was in any danger whatsoever. Right, because and, they die so sort of comedically and, yep. and, and amusingly. The, the film set it up that as these four people are safe now. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay. And so then, and that's another thing too. When I started going back and reflecting, I was like. I think I I was along for the ride because it is presented to you in such a skillful manner. But then when thinking about it, I was like, well, why wasn't I scared? Well, I wasn't scared because I knew the movie told me in in very few words, but in in certain ways that these characters are safe. And since these characters are safe, well, okay, then I guess I'll start trying to decompress what actually is trying to be said through the film. And then I was like, oh, but then the world kind of gets in the way. So... Uh, it, it it but but here's the, here's the thing I want to re- rewind a bit. When they're in that house, yeah. and the doppelgangers show up, and the entirety of that whole sequence, fucking terrifying, right? But there's a hard switch, and it might I, do they do the kill count joke right as they're leaving the house? They do it after no, leaving it's the, the second, second house that they're leaving. Yeah, but but the, but, but the jokes. Uh, Around uh, the doppelgangers, kind of well, the, the the when it's it's not Winston Duke's fault because he's wonderful in this film, but but he's his he's kind of tasked with being comedic relief during those scenes, yeah. and and 
and whenever he does, it takes you out of the terror of the scenes. Um, and and I think that you know, like like you say, uh, from the sort of the immediacy of enjoying the film, it's not particularly scary. You know, like there are moments where things are happening that there's the, jump moments and there's moments that are unnerving there was a moment i think when the young uh boy evil version doppelganger like does some like crawl leap or scurries no it was the moment when they're all standing in the yeah. driveway and they do a little and clap. they go yeah. or whatever and they just scurry into the into the into the, the underbrush on the sides i was like fuck 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 fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> wait see no the thing was there is i wasn't particularly scared at that moment no and I, and that, it's, fear is the wrong thing but it was it was the anticipation of that was creepy. Something bad is coming. That's yeah. not fear. Yeah. Like, uh, that- it, it, it's not the, like, in the movie Climax, for example, and I'm just, I'm using that as a reference because it's the, the, the last sort of, it's not an outward horror, but it's the last scary film I saw. Um, there is a sense of dread and terror that comes with that movie at every turn. Uh, that's not the case with. Uh, I also want to say, us doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be, and, uh, I, and like I think the cabin reason... in the woods isn't scary. No, it's not scary at all. Yeah, and and but I think the reason I'm still on the us train is that ultimately I liked what this film had to say about American culture. Let's talk about it because <laughs> I'm uh, I I am a little confused to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, I again I want to go straight up <laughs> straight up and say that I really enjoyed us in the yeah. theater. I was like raging with it like yeah. it was such a fucking great experience to watch it's very skillfully made yeah, yeah i just i i didn't have that afterburn of like when i was thinking about it knowing exactly what it was going to trying to say or at least having a, a solid enough idea that i couldn't poke holes in right and and i think again the 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 thing that i kind of also like about it is that it's open to interpretation because the there's no like um, you know, like in Get Out, a racial kind of dynamic to it where it's like specifically, oh, this is, was a film about race. Sure. Um, this is a film that has many possible interpretations available to it. So the the spoiler side of this is that uh, underneath uh, all of us is a society of doppelgangers that are tethered to us, which enact our uh, almost our every movement, but they're... Um, and we're not exactly sure why this is part of that problem with the mythology being like a little too big. Yeah. We're not exactly sure how the mechanics of it work. We don't know. Un- we don't know and understand how the tethered know what it, what it is we're doing. They seem to live in this sort of uh, almost cavernous like hallways where these are just sort of empty rooms. They eat rabbit, raw rabbit for meals, uh, as opposed to um, uh, real food, it, which which sort of like inherently kind of gets you away from this idea that I think the film in, is intrinsically part of, which is like, how do people grow a soul? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Uh, you would you would suggest that in some way, the nature of what the tethered are doing would mean that they would have to be different from us. But for some reason, they're exactly the same. And so we don't understand what the technology is. We don't understand what the... Who did it, why, why they did, did it. it. You kind of glean that it might be a government experiment to control people, but then they just abandon it, which <laughs> is weird because if they did do that, why wouldn't... Like, there's a lot of weird plot holes because, like, okay, if it's a shadow government trying to control people and it failed, even though it seems like it didn't fail, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they just kill them all. Let's straight up. They wouldn't let them just, like, live down there or whatever. They wouldn't just, like, li- whatever. And if they did, like, they'd lock it in a vault and mm-hmm. they didn't do that. There's, like, a door to an amusement park. Park. So yeah. like it's, uh, it's 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 very also I mean if they're eating only raw rabbits okay mm. rabbits reproduce at an incredible rate like that's you know that mm. makes sense uh sure 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 uh what are the rabbits eating 
Also, they probably would have died off from some bacterial disease at some yeah, early point. Yeah, and there's no, like, everything is sort of clean. Also, the, 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 there's a couple other things that bugged me, too, just on this minuscule level. It, they're all wearing sort of regular clothes in, in one scene, and then when they become the tethered and they have the hatch the plan due to some yeah. machinations we'll get to, they all get red jumpsuits, one golf club, glove, and a pair of giant sewing shears. Yeah. And I'm like... This plan seems very elaborate for a team for a for a society of uh, of uh, what you would argue is um, how would you describe them? I guess you would describe them as. I mean, the only the, the word that comes to mind is tethered. Uh, which oh, tethered's is, a great it's a, term. It's a great catch-all term because it basically means the society that is connected to us without uh, without autonomy of their own. And also, like you, sh- it shows them like mirroring our actions on the surface world. Yeah. But like they're still in a hallway, so like that doesn't work. Yeah, no, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. But what I like about it. Uh, what I like about the ambition of what the story is trying to do is that it does point to an open reading of class culture. So in the film, for me, there are three different stratospheres of class. And, you know, you go back to the old sort of Marxist kind of okay. ideology of, of the, the middle class, the upper and the proletariat. Um, and, and in this, you've got a family, you know, the, 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 the main family, who, uh, as personified by Winston Duke at some point, is envious of an upper class that's beyond them. And that's the Tim Heidecker family. Yep. You know, like they talk about the fact that they have a boat. He got the flare gun, you know, like, and, and, and Winston Duke comes back and he's like, he's always kind of like, oh, they rubbed it in our, you know, he has to right. rub it in our face. You know, like his house isn't as nice as that house. They're always kind of like looking at the ease of which. But beneath this middle class, middle class family is an entirely different culture, which they haven't considered at all, um, that is entirely um, connected to them without them ever realizing it. And, and, and as the film will reveal, connected in a way that is kind of profound later on. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the thing that I think is interesting is basically what happens is, this, is this, this entire culture and society below them fights back and decides to like retake their ground. But it, in, a, in a weird way, they don't know what to do with it. This hands across America thing is this sort of weird, pointless act. It's a memory of a <laughs> child that got swapperooed. Yeah, yeah. And it, and, but the thing about the hands across America thing was that it was ultimately kind of a failed, pointless act. Right. You know, which is kind of, which is really, I, I think, a really. Because America int- has deserts. Well, no, but not just that, but like the, the point, it, it sort of, it, well, that's so, why so, it could never work. I mean, no matter how much money you get, no, no, it's because America has deserts. No, but not even a logistics thing. It, it's 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 uh, this notion that we can solve the homeless crisis by doing this sort of meaningless act, uh, and and in fact, it did nothing of the sort. You know, like um, America can't solve uh, a major class function by through one. Through charity one, event. one charity event, it just doesn't work that way. You have to like uh, examine the underlying, you know, underlying causes, and that's not what that act did. And so this, uh, this, I think all of this gets summed up. And I'm, and I'm, I think I feel like I'm whiffling around this because I think it's such a big idea, mm-hmm. um, and it's so open to interpretation. There's many ways to read this, uh, but the way that I kind of landed on reading this is it's this this sense of a class culture that is divided amongst itself. So you've got this upper level, um, you know. The Heideckers, you've got this middle level, the wins, you know, the, uh, the mm-hmm. Peter Nyonga's family, and then you've got this lower level that's almost not seen, that fights back and doesn't, and and ultimately doesn't know what to do with this newly regained power, and it's and it's an ignored class. But I have a, so here's here's the here's the because the, I, I thought that too, but yeah. then I kind of poked holes in my theory when I did it's that. It's totally hole pokeable because, for instance, the uh, the the tethered class, let's call it right. Yeah. 
want to take back the world, but the but both other classes that we are introduced to don't even know that the tethered exists. Yeah, and now that to me, like the you can't, like, and, and it's it's a super secret thing that no one has known about. Therefore, it is not something that that like, for instance, it's not the middle classes in this. I'm using this in the analogy. It's neither of the classes that are being attacked's fault that yeah. the tethered are oppressed. It's not because yeah. they don't know, they, they don't they know don't. they have no idea and if they did it's not presented. So I have a hard time feeling like any sympathy for the tethered because they're just going on this I mean mm-hmm. I, other than like a, a humanitarian sort of like you were an experiment etc but like they're going on a murderous rampage for no reason because they kind of like I get the logic of why they're doing it but it doesn't let me empathize with them. I also mm-hmm. don't particularly empathize uh with the idea that like how do i put it the the the, the i've heard a lot of stuff uh and you you kind of went around this i don't think this was your actual point about like you know the 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 film as a representation of the fear of the other right, right. yeah there's actually a, i've got a quote from uh, jordan peel uh, that that points that would you like me to read yeah, that yeah please um so jordan peel says uh, right now my country is going through an obsession with the outsider and a fear of the invader and the other this is a movie about the fact that maybe we are our own worst enemy. That see that reading to me is probably the strongest, but it also doesn't really play to the sense of like fear of the other. It, well, no, it does. Here's the thing: every horror film, for most part, is fear of the other. Right. Like you can put that on most any. It's the Lovecraftian thing. racist art. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like what Jordan Peele said there because. Uh, you know, the idea that we are our own worst enemy, that makes sense. Yeah. And from a, but in this movie, it also doesn't present that as what it's being said. Granted, in is, is the physical threat to one of us, the other one of us in this film? Sure. And can you take that and, and look at that and be like, oh, I get it. But the plot has nothing to do with that thought. Like what the, the what the machinations of what is happening in the story don't have to do with that. It's the physical embodiment that does. Right. So that's like another level, but it's not get out was so interconnected. Yeah. Get out get out is a sharper film. Uh and I, I don't wanna I don't wanna poo-poo on this movie because I really liked it. Yeah. Um but it the more I, I, I was disappointed that the more I thought about it, the more I was like to the point where I was like, I was worried about doing this podcast because I was like I don't want to sound like I don't like it because I did, but I I can still. The more I thought about it, the less I was able to just sort of like seep and enjoy and like be in the visceral world that was presented to me because it was so big and ambitious. Right. And uh, and when you do that, you are going to have your audience start questioning things. Yeah. yeah. Um. Absolutely. And I and I don't disagree with that reading. That's kind of my initial reading yeah. of the film as well. Was I kind of wanted to like it. But I felt like it didn't quite work. But the, but then when I again I I I like this big punt idea, and I like the idea that the the metaphor works on an open level. You know, like it is open to interpretation and open to reading. Like the events happen. Um, I don't disbelieve that the events of the film happen, and I don't disbelieve the mechanics of the film happening because the film is filled with so much detail mm-hmm. uh, and so many like signposts about what is happening around you. Um, 
But to me, you know, part of the class culture problem in America is that there is this unknown class that we don't really talk about. You know, like most of American politics has to do with either the absolute upper upper wealthy or the middle class, you know. And what Hands Across America as a signpost kind of pointed to is how inefficiently we deal with, with, extreme, lower, yeah. with, with extreme poverty to the point is we don't even re recognize that it exists in some cases. And I think that as a metaphor, um, again, it's a metaphor, not really an accurate like, sure, class sure, sure. description no, like, I get like Get Out. I think that actually works really well because this middle class family is confronted with this idea that there is a, there is, they have a shadow that they've never considered, um, that they didn't even realize existed. And for them, you know, like for them, there's a, there's a terror in that like if if um you know the other film that i think kind of like sort of got into this a little bit was uh christopher nolan's the dark knight rises which is that there was this the idea that there was going to be an uprising of the lower classes of uh you know into gotham and it was like everyone had been living high on the hog for so long and that there was this class that they hadn't even considered i know dark knight rises is a problematic reference but that's just one i can kind of mm -hmm. grab on and i think that was for me that's what works in this film because the film is also a celebration of that class's triumph. You know, like at the end of it, the film, you know, we see the hands across America kind of working and we realize how pointless it was. And it and it is a mirror back on like this idea that we could even think that that, you know, like joining hands and doing this charity thing was gonna solve all these problems. Now it's not a it's not a literal metaphor because the because the literal mechanics of it make no sense, as as we've kind of both alluded to. Right. The literal mechanics of how the you know, there's, there's, there has to be some kind of supernatural element to it. But again, he hand waves, uh, you know, he hand waves, he does reference that in the idea that the, the tethered are an attempt to identify the soul of everyone. And, and the daughter also says at one point, again, it's a throwaway line. She goes, she says, did you know the government injected fluoride into the water to control people? It's like, it's enough of a throwaway line to kind of like just understand the mechanics. So here's the thing. I don't. Th I love it when things like of that nature aren't explained. But yeah. it's, but but like I I love that like the idea that uh you know they made the, it, say their clothes right yeah they the tethered themselves have to share a soul with the other person because humans can't make souls and then uh that means that's why they're sort of linked in their tethered quote unquote yeah and then when they're talking about like them as a shadow and how they had to mirror them but they didn't have the tools and techniques and technologies or or, or, or resources let's say to do the things I remember the the C-section line about the second child yeah like she had to cut out the kid herself because she didn't they didn't have the thing like yeah. the doctors and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Though granted uh, by the movie's logic, I guess they would have that doctor. The doctor would be there and doing it just maybe not with the right tools, doesn't matter. Uh so but I I love that unknown angle. That's yeah. the stuff I am not angry at. That's the stuff that gets you thinking like, "Oh, that is cool." Yeah. What hooks me up though is the logistics to get to that angle. For instance, is this does everyone in the country have this? How big is this? The mechanics of running it and having it not be like it just it it that to me is what pulls me out. I love a good uh supernatural esque or I won't even call it supernatural. Um science or pseudoscience that I I don't fully understand. Yeah. That transplanting a brain. Yeah. Like that's Kevin you know, in the Woods, you know, like the mechanics the, of it. The mechanics of the Cthulian um yeah, yeah. Uh, dynamic. But but the thing is Kevin in the Woods is so good at is it's contained it, it contains the parameters of the world. So you go, even if I don't quite understand it, I know it exists within There these are boundaries. offices in multiple countries that yeah. take care of it that have yeah. to do it with these groups at certain points around the globe to stop the old ones from waking. The boundaries kind of yeah. make sense yeah. to you. Whereas the boundaries of this film expand 
panned out by the end of the movie to be boundless. Yeah, and uh, that and that is probably it is difficult to read. Yeah, so like the I guess the 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 it's 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 funny because it's the physical versus the metaphysical boundaries. I can buy into no metaphysical boundaries because we don't understand them, and yeah. then therefore that makes sense in my own logical process. Yeah. Where I understand feeding a group of people and knowing that resources have to be implemented to yeah. keep sort of things alive. Da, 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 da. I mean, the, the, to, to believe that this happened, and I do want to get to the final twist in a minute too, which I loved. Yeah. Uh, you have to believe that over the course of around, I don't know, 15, 20 years, like these, this society underground still exists, had enough resources to survive and didn't die of a disease. And none of them, well, actually, actually the supernatural yeah. part does make me believe that none of them, um, uh, actually would leave because yeah. they're sort of stuck downstairs. But then how does um, how does Red get upstairs? It, uh, like, you know, there's a power outage and she gets upstairs. I, look, I, I 100% agree yeah. with everything you're saying in that the the physical mechanics of this don't make sense. And I felt that way when we were watching it, um, and I still feel that way now. Um, and, it, and it distracted from my pleasure of the film. To me, the metaphysical uh, side of it does make sense, and, yeah. and it's big and it's ambitious, and I kind of love that. I, see, I, I love the fact that we both felt the same things, but at different times yeah, of our experiences yeah. with the film. For me... I didn't feel any of this when I was watching it. Right. And then I, upon reflection, see, I, the, I was like, oh, okay. See, so so oddly, you, I felt that way during the movie. Yeah. Which is, I was ah, like, that's I, so weird. And then, but it was afterwards that I was kind of like, no, you know what? I do enjoy. Maybe, maybe we're tethered. <laughs> maybe we're too. <laughs> I, you know what? I just rewatched uh, Paul P.T. Anderson's film, The The Master. Oh, it's uh, yeah, so good. You know, which is kind of about these two people who have uh -huh. like tethered souls. Anyway, um, the other thing, you know, like, again, the film is, got, is so rich in. In signposts, you know, mm -hmm. like there's so many little details. And what you could argue is that, uh, I think from a from a critical point of view, you could argue that there's so many different signposts here that that he's actually covering up the fact that he hasn't got uh, a real solid grasp on this world. Uh, you you could argue, you know, like because because sure. there's so many. But like the one I come back to that I think is sort of interesting is the Jeremiah Eleven Eleven. You know, like this, this I, the 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 signpost is held at some point, and the character is holding it up. And what I love is that that character is the instigation point because we see that character die and then we see his doppelganger later on. So we realize that the process is happening. He's the first one with his hands out for Hands Across America and you yeah. don't realize it because this looks like he's like praising the sun or whatever. And then he's got blood drops on his hand because he's killed his doppelganger. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but the but Jeremiah Level and Level, which is uh, which also is, again, a nice symbiotic sort of like two ones, two ones, yep. you know, kind of thing. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape and they shall cry unto me, and I will not hearken unto them. Which is, which I kind of just, I love this idea that 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 there is um, a tipping point between these three class struggle, these three class cultures that is inescapable as far as the you know like the absolute lower class is con con uh, concerned. And the shadow figure of of uh, of Lupita Nyong'o's character, her right. name is uh, Adelaide, and her name. Uh, down uh, in the tethered world is red. Mm -hmm. uh, you know when she when she basically says um, there once was a, a girl who had a shadow and the shadow couldn't live the way that the girl did. Um, you know and and that was just inescapable from now on. You know and that was that that was a um, uh, a notion that was no longer tenable. Yeah. You know I think that that's a sort of wonderful examination or a wonderful sort of just 
portrait of America. And, and you can, I mean, the line of "We are who are you people? We're we Americans, Americans" is yeah. great. And also, I mean, if you want to get into it, you could also argue back to sort of your point and a little against my initial one, where like, let's not even, uh, you know. I don't know. I was going to try to use the tethered as sort of like, let's like uh, uh, middle America, super like working class type people that like sort of were forgotten and then rose up. And now, hello, Trump. Like that sort you of make like, that argument. But yeah. again, I think there's a, your point of a lot of signposts, uh, <laughs> you know, don't exactly get you to your destination any faster. They just sort of have you go around and around and around and you'll see a bunch of neat stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Let's talk. So how did you feel? Uh, about the the final sort of twist, which I feel is a take up of, uh, and not the same thing, but definitely a callback to uh, the the monster coming back a little bit right at the end before the film in a, in a horror movie. Oh uh, right, right, yeah. So the I guess my problem there is the is kind of the problem I had with the again. I'm I'm always talking about Christopher Nolan films at this point. I'm not a, fan, a Nolan like he's in uh, your brain. He's just in my brain. He's incepted his way in. Uh, but but it was like the ending of the Prestige, which was an ending I saw coming like very early. Oh, on. I didn't. Uh, like I kind of felt like that was when I first saw the two girls at the beginning of the movie. I kind of I I made a mental note at that point. I was like, these two girls got switched. I should have, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't. Right. Like I think I was distracted by everything else. I, I I'm not saying that to sleight say, of hand. Sort I'm of. not saying that to say I'm smart or anything. What no. I'm saying is is that the 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 issue there is that story keeps coming back throughout. It, it is filtered throughout the film so many times, and we see that scene so many times that I, my brain went, "There's got to be more to this than than what we're just seeing here." And what I'm seeing here is, and and the way I would resolve this story is if the two girls were switched. I was distracted by the shiny filmmaking. I think I think I think the the the, magi- the magician's trick the sleight of hand right. uh, was very effective even though if if I if I don't know if I wasn't watching I could probably follow the ball <laughs> right, right. like um, I think and I think I the only thing there is that I you know I was following the ball and and yeah. and knowing where it was going and and again so, it goes back to how we both sort of I think experienced this movie but 9 times out of 10 you know like sometimes you'll follow the ball and be completely wrong about it sure. and so it's it's only when you follow the ball and you know you know like if you're watching a magic trick and you know exactly how they did it that by the time they do it you're kind of like Cool, you know, like like <laughs> lost. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's another discussion. People guess the thing in season two, and they're like, "Nope," and then that was the thing. Yeah, yeah, well, that's another discussion. I I still like this idea that you know what it is. I like the idea that a film this pop, you know, like yeah. pop culture has got such a big set of ideas behind mm-hmm. it. You know, like it's got such a lot to chew on that what what the sort of walking out of the film got for me was excited to see it again. You know yeah, what I mean? You know yeah. and, and and you know there are many films where I understand the messaging, I understand how it works. like you know Cabin in the Woods is a really good example which is that I loved what it did. I I would be happy to rewatch it again. I've never actually rewatched it again because I kind of feel like I've gotten most of what I need to get out it of it. It doesn't have a lot of cultural things to say other than the world's fucked, so fuck it. Yeah. Like that's kind of the message of Cabin in the Woods, which think, is like I think it had a lot to say about like the nature of storytelling and our relationship to what we need out of stories. But yes, but from a from an in the narrative sort of perspective of what the what is important to the characters and therefore what is it sort of portraying to you as sort of important is like the world's fucked. Oh well, guess you should fuck everyone by like wh- whatever it is. But but the point there is that in a way, you know, a film that is entirely uh, hermetically sealed 
oftentimes doesn't allow you doesn't doesn't require you to revisit it. And I think that that's smart. You know, that's good filmmaking. And in this way, this this film is much looser and bigger and grander. And I'm excited to rewatch it with a new frame of reference yes, in, in in mind. Um, one of the uh, I, I read this sort of interview with uh, Jordan Peele uh, in Sight and Sound magazine, um, and he talks about the greatest scare in horror films being uh, from The Shining. And he, he says, uh, the greatest scare in horror cinema is when the camera turns the corner in the Overlook Hotel and finds a pair of identical twins standing at the end of the hallway. It's far worse than a mere jump scare. The image of an inescapable, expectant terror casts an icy chill on the back of the neck, sending a shiver down the spine. It's the protagonist in motion and something waiting for them patiently and calmly. Um, uh, he also cites the Silence of the Lambs there. And I think... Uh, I love that that is his reference point for what is scary. I don't think he kind of gets to that scary in this movie, but as a as sort of a side step from that, I think The Shining is a really good example of of the kind of horror that that Peel aspires to because The Shining is a really great example of a film that has this grand mythology behind it yeah. that you don't that the film is almost too small to kind of touch on but what happens for me every time I watch The Shining is I'm re-implanting that mythology on it so I'm watching it in a different way every time I watch it and there's yeah. a great uh, actually, it's a terrible documentary, but it's sort of a great idea for a documentary called Room 237, which is where all these conspiracy theories are kind of landed on The Shining, and all these people are talking about all these conspiracy theories around The Shining. But I love that that I could re-watch uh, Us with a sort of renewed sense of, like, what could this possibly mean? Mm -hmm. Now, ordinarily, that is that's, you know, like, that might be the sign of poor filmmaking, but I think in this case, it's the sign of, like, sheer ambition um, that isn't quite fully realized, but is exciting. Like I'm, ex I'm excited by the sheer ambition of what Peel might be trying to say in this, as more than I am of the perfectly executed metaphors of some other films. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's perfectly said. I think uh, the 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 breadth at which the, the the multiple breaths and the the depth of them that is presented with us. <laughs> I would much rather see, even if after the fact I pick it apart in my own brain, than d most of the stuff that's like, it's actually about classism. Like other films that sort of like try to do, or like, I, this is, as you said, uh, it's filmmaking and storytelling on an incredibly ambitious scale. And yeah, it doesn't all hit, but I would much rather see this than, yeah. than things sort of playing it safe or playing like with a totally comfortable scale. Um, the performances are nuts. It's shot beautifully. Soundtrack and score. Uh, oh, so that, good. That, re, uh, that retake of I've Got Five on it uh, by, at the end of the film. Again, just such a wonderful yeah. example of like Peel, uh, you know, knowing that everything matters. Yeah, there's, there's a definite linkage throughout this entire uh, yeah. thing, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and, it, you know, it goes back to everything sort of linking together. It, the small, the tiny pieces link together perfectly, yep. much like the tethered link back to their own doppelganger. Like, that's all sort of great. It's when it gets bigger than the scope of our characters that it starts to really pose questions for me. And for me, outside of the initial viewing, uh, as I said, it starts me, my, my brain starts picking things apart and then whatever. I'm looking forward to watching it again and then seeing if I can just get my brain back into, uh, into Funtown. Uh, <laughs> as as opposed to uh, sort of dissecting it, um, 
I, you know, the film, uh, there's another film that kind of came to mind when I thought about the, when I thought about like the way to read this film and that's, uh, Michael Haneke's film, uh, Cache or Hidden, um, which has this sort of like deeper mythology to it that is very big and very obfuscated in the film. It's mm. hard to like figure out what it is. In fact, you can only sort of decipher it from seeing one image in the film, which is played over the credits. And it's not even clear exactly what happened. Okay. Um, and, you know, that sort of plays into the title. But I love that idea that a film can, you know, like invites you to like interpret things. And it's not spelling everything out exactly for you. Um, and in the hands of a less skilled filmmaker, sure. that comes across as... Um, problematic and it, and it feels inefficient you know it can feel uh like poor filmmaking like someone doesn't know how to tell a story but that's not the case with jordan peele is like i feel in this case he knows how to tell a story he's telling a bigger story and he's trying to wrestle with this big 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 idea and it's not always clear it's messy it doesn't make sense you pointed out a hundred things that are absolutely correct the the logic of this is inoperable in many ways but Logic for me doesn't matter as much as ambition, and ambition in this case um, trumps logic in a way that that is profound and beautiful and and weird. And the thing that I also love the most about this is is watching it in a movie theater in Times Square of all places. Is everybody can't, you can't you can't walk out of this movie without having a conversation about it. You know, everyone was talking about what had happened yeah. and everyone was trying to figure it out and decipher it and having a conversation. And it reminds me of like, you know, that thing when you'd go to the movies and you weren't just placated by the movie, you weren't just like, you know, given some candy. Yeah, yep. you, had to, you had to like wrestle with the movie. Um, and I think that in itself is the, you know, is like a wholehearted recommendation to go see this in a movie theater. And like if, if Spielberg or, you know, Nolan or whatever wants to talk about, um, why people need to go see this in a movie. It's that reason. It's not the optic. It's not the sound. It's not the image quality. It's the fact that movies should get you to have a conversation. And this is a movie that gets you to have a conversation. And I love that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's damn good. Uh, I agree. Yeah. This has been the only podcast about the film Us. Uh, Shahir, when <laughs> when we're not so happy together, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find... I'm, I'm trying to think of a joke, but I uh, the only <laughs> one I can come up to is happy, the song Happy Together was in the Wong Kar Mai movie Happy Together. Uh, and so you could find us at the Igatu Falls in Brazil, which is where that film took place. That's a that's a deep cut. That's less of a joke <laughs> and more of an essay. Yeah, that's a that's too deep a cut. But you can find me making some deep cuts at my website, <laughs> www.shahirdaud.com. That's s h a h i r d a u d dot com. Matt, when you are not realizing that we are two peas in a pod of a tivid soul, where can people find your half of my soul? Uh, you can find Shahir's soul in my. Body at m a t t h e w k r o l dot com for my life and works. Arsenal schedule the number four p r e z on Instagram or Emperor M S K on Twitter. Also, you can check out some of my work over at Extra Credits on YouTube. We uh, when this comes out, what's going to be out? The Gilgamesh saga of Bronze Age mythology will be completed. Also, we just did a uh, fantastic one off on the Boston Massacre, Oof. and uh, yeah, it, that's a that's a. We, we, something I really liked about it. We do patron hangouts on yeah. that, and we discuss with certain tier patrons about. 
um, uh, questions about things, and one of them was sort of talking about like on the extra history series in particular, how how do we sort of uh, levy with ourselves, uh, you know, talking about conquerors and wars and 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 horrible things, you know, stuff like that. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on is we, uh, while doing a narrative structure, we also make sure that we show sort of whenever there are two sides of a thing, we show both sides as the protagonist. Yeah. We never sort of uh, just stick with one and continue down the line if that's that, so like we come from it from the soldier's perspective we come from it from the townspeople's perspective and then we come from it from john adams perspective right. so like there, it's a great it's a great little one-off if you need an introduction to that sort of work that i do over there check out that one it's very very good the art's fantastic by ali arthom uh anyway yeah um we will uh chat with you uh next week i'm not even gonna say what we're doing yet because i don't know because we don't know i have uh, no idea but you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com with your suggestions uh or your thoughts and theories about us tell and us not us Does no both to, to, uh, oh, either yeah. be, have it be about us or be about us okay yeah yeah all right talk to you then bye